Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my spectacular co-host, <laughs> Ellen McGirt. Oh, I love that, Alan. Thank you. And hello, everybody. Ellen, we've spoken to a number of CEOs over the past year whose companies have been hit hard by the pandemic. But today we have one who's really mastered the pandemic. The company's performance has been extraordinary. The stock price has more than doubled since the pandemic began. It's Chipotle, by the way. That is right. And I have a heartwarming true story to share about Chipotle. I have a very soft spot in my heart. I'm going to take us back to February 2020, February 26th. The pandemic is coming at us like a freight train, but we're still in denial. It's my daughter's 18th birthday. And her friends managed to pull together the greatest surprise party ever. I had 45 amazing about-to-graduate teenagers in my house catered by Chipotle everybody's favorite food. And we just trays and trays and trays of just wonderful food. And we had special napkins with her face <laughs> on it and temporary tattoos. And that remains the most joyous memory that helped got me through the pandemic because I have not had any kind of family dinner or big dinner like that, catered or not, ever since. So uh, and there you go. And, and maybe, maybe, Ellen, you carried Chipotle through the uh, pandemic. We can ask Brian Nicole about that. But I know they took a dip like so many businesses immediately after the pandemic hit. But then he made some very smart moves and the company has been soaring ever since. So let's dive in. Brian, we'll stop talking about you. You start talking to us. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Leadership Next. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for sharing that story. It's always uh, fun to hear Chipotle making some good memories. So tell us what happened after that birthday party. I mean, it, it really has been a pretty extraordinary pandemic for you. And it wasn't by chance. I mean, you made some important moves. Yeah, well, actually, you know, just before the pandemic hit, you know, in full force in March, our uh, business was really, you know, hitting on all cylinders. You know, we started this process of transforming the company to be both a great culinary company, but also a terrific digitally forward company. And, uh, you know, we installed what we call digital make lines, uh, which is a second really second kitchen hmm. to take care of all the orders coming in from the app and the web. And the you, last, I'm sorry, you did that. You did that before the pandemic, before the pandemic. Yeah. And this is, this is one of those things where that's very smart. Well, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> you know, your strategies end up finding an unknown accelerator and, you know, the pandemic proved to be an accelerator on the strategy. And literally in December, I think was the last installation just before kind of the holidays, we installed our last digital make line. And then, you know, you hit January and February and we're like, wow, this is really working. You know, we're getting these new occasions for people that are off premise, like that catering order you described uh, to then, you know, the traditional business of people walking in, going down the line. And then when the pandemic hit, our frontline business, or our dining room business got shut down. And all of a sudden we went from 10, 15 percent of our business digital to really 100 percent of our business being digital. But fortunate for us, we had all the processes already in place. Our teams were trained on it. And that was really what kind of saved us through those first couple months where, you know, we weren't sure where this was going, you know, so pretty fortunate to have done that work ahead of time. And then very fortunate that our teams and leaders in our restaurants were able to pivot the business 
to really an all digital business during that time. And just quickly before I turn it over to Ellen, so you were 10 or 15 percent digital before the pandemic. You obviously went to 100 percent digital during the shutdown. Where is it balanced out? Where are you now? Yeah, so now it's about 40% of our business, but just to give you kind of the scale, I'll give you the numbers. You know, before the pandemic, we were probably on track to do about a billion dollars of digital sales. Now coming out of the pandemic, we're probably on track to do over $3 billion of digital business. Wow. And that'll represent 40% of our, our business for kind of this calendar year. How did you think about bringing people back to the lines safely? And how did you think about reopening safely? Yeah, this is another one of those uh, situations where we're fortunate. We've got a very strong food safety and wellness culture. And I remember this is probably back in like December, uh, asking the woman that leads this group for us. She's our VP, Carrie Bridges. And I said, you know, hey, if this COVID thing actually ends up showing up in the United States, what do we need to change in regard to our wellness practices and our food safety procedures? And, you know, I was really excited to hear that hey, you know what, the fact that we were doing these wellness checks where, you know, we were asking people not to work if you are sick and we have a zero tolerance policy for people working if they're sick. And we already provided paid time off in the event you had a health and wellness issue. And we already had the nurses where, you know, if people said they had symptoms, they would touch base with nurses. So we had to just get them trained up on what the COVID symptoms were. And then, you know, the thing we only had to change really for our employees was adding masks. You know, because they were already, oh, and the social distancing, you know, that served us really well because we didn't have to institute a whole lot of new policies. Uh, You know, we already did. We already had the air ventilation. We already had the hand washing protocols. Uh, So we're pretty fortunate that way with that. It's it's worth reminding people, Brian, that this is in part how you ended up in this job. There was a food taint problem in what, 2017 that caused you to come in as CEO and sounds like a complete revamping of health policies. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was, uh, you know, kind of twofold. How do we get back on our you know, front foot as far as food with integrity and putting all the practices and protocols in place to ensure we could continue to provide food with integrity? And so that served us really well. You know, the other thing I would tell you, too, that gave us confidence to be able to keep all of our employees working is I had a similar conversation with our CFO around that time in December where, you know, hey, if in the event we have to close our restaurants, how long can we go with closed restaurants before, you know, we have to start really furloughing people and so on and so forth. And we were pretty fortunate. We have no debt. We had a really strong balance sheet, you know, and we were kind of an anomaly in our space because we handle all of our capital needs from our existing cash flow. And so the reason why that was important is we were able, you know, this is one of the things that was kind of breaking my heart is, The business was just firing in January and February. The teams were doing a phenomenal job. They were on track to get great bonuses. March hits pretty much wiped out our performance. You know, if you just looked at the metrics, you would have said people didn't earn their bonuses. And because of our strong financial position and our ability to do the digital business going forward, we were able to honor those bonuses, even though people didn't technically achieve the metrics. And, you know, at that time, it was pretty powerful for our employees because they weren't sure where all this stuff was going. Right. So to pay out the bonuses, keep people employed, that was a big deal. And we were pretty fortunate that we already had the health and wellness protocols to give people the confidence it's a safe environment. And then we had the strong balance sheet to keep people employed and paid uh, during what was really uncertain times. Speaking of uncertain times, was there anything that you did differently 
to communicate to your employees during this time? Because it was terrifying. Yeah, Ellen, you, you know, you're exactly right. You know, we usually do calls, you know, like once a quarter and then we get together as a group annually. Uh, but we turned this into we were meeting every day, twice a day as a leadership team. And then every, I would say, three to five days, we would do an all hands call. And the idea was it was changing so fast. You know, and look, I was honest with people. We're going to make decisions based on the best available information we have. But I want you guys to be, you know, flexible with me on these decisions, because as we get new information, we're going to have to change. And you know, we've got close to 100,000 employees. That's not an easy task. And I think it was also helpful to say we don't know all right. the details, but what we do know, these are the decisions we're making. And give us the feedback on how it's playing out in the restaurant. Brian, I haven't been to any restaurant in the last three months where they haven't talked about staffing problems. Now, I know you raised wages, you know, the minimum to $15 an hour, but have you been able to keep your stores fully staffed? And if so, how? Yeah, no, it, look, the labor environment is challenging, uh, no doubt about it. And we've got still probably about a couple hundred restaurants where we're battling to get the stores staffed correctly. And the thing that's difficult in that is the employees that are left running the restaurant, it's really a tough environment, mm -hmm. you know, because they're running a restaurant understaffed. Our demand didn't change. And so, you know, it kind of creates a compounding effect because you don't want the people that are staying with you to get burned out, get frustrated and leave. And so we're aggressively trying to continue to hire and spend a lot of time making sure that we retain the people that we have. We are seeing progress, though. I will tell you that. Like, if you go back to probably March, April, it was across the country an entirely huge problem. Now where we are is it feels more of like spot issues and it seems to be much more related to COVID spiking in an area. Right. And then we end up with people being excluded, mm -hmm. you know, because we still have to keep them out of the restaurant, uh, which just puts pressure on the team for, you know, 10 to 12 days. But that seems to be more of our challenge. It feels like we've got the right total package now for people as far as the starting wage, as well as the growth opportunity. But, you know, we always want to be a leader in giving people a great first job as well as a great career. Well, I'm glad you said great career. If, if I can just follow up on that quickly, because there is a lot of conversation today, not just about paying people living wages, but giving them pathways to a good job. And, right. you know, I, I, I don't get $15 an hour, even though it's well above the, the minimum, it's still pretty hard to live on. I see you've done some things in that area to help guarantee your employees a pathway to a better job. Can you talk about that and the investment you've made and why you've done it? One of the things I wish I could figure out how to do a much better job is to share with everybody that these are great first jobs, but they're also, if you're at the right restaurant company, it can be a great career job. And, you know, to your point, I want nothing more than to see people progress from that entry level position to a restaurant manager or a field leader or a team director. And one of the things that we've, I think, helped us through this labor challenge is sharing with people. You join our company in an hourly role. You can find yourself in less than three years earning over one hundred thousand dollars and leading you know, a multimillion dollar restaurant with a team of 30 plus people. And that's a big deal. And we're building a lot of restaurants. So it's not like I'm saying this is going to happen every once in a while. You know, we're building 200 plus restaurants every year. So that means we need 200 new general managers every year. You need, you know, 20 more field leaders, which a field leader oversees uh, seven to eight restaurants. A team director oversees 40 to 50 restaurants. So 
when we're building 200, 250 restaurants a year, you can see how you can grow from being crew to a manager, to a field leader. And actually just yesterday, I was in a market, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this young man just got promoted from what we call certified training manager, which is after you become a restaurant general manager, this is also to your point, how we progress people, you then become a restaurateur, which is demonstrating great performance, great culture. And then the top performer is a certified training manager. And that is somebody that then starts to get experience training other restaurants to perform. And why that's really important is because then you're going to step up and be a multi-unit leader. So that gives you kind of a taste for it. But I met this young man. He just got promoted to field leader literally about two months ago. And the thing that was so great about it is the gentleman then that was the new general manager was somebody that was his apprentice at his prior restaurant. And then the woman that is running one of the other restaurants was an apprentice working for him in a restaurant. So, you know, you just see the power of a person that knows how to do their job really well It cascaded into two other people getting promotions and becoming leaders in our company that I'm confident will become even bigger leaders in our company. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, in today's economy, it's pretty clear that talent is the most important business asset. But the talent can be pretty demanding. And if they want to, they can walk out the door. How does that change the way you lead a corporation? This is especially acute for all of us at Deloitte, where our primary asset is our people. And sitting here in an environment where our people have a choice of where they want to work, it places a premium on making certain that we're operating as a responsible enterprise, that our people can visibly see that the organization they work for aligns with their values, and that our organization is leading by example as a responsible enterprise. Our employees certainly feel highly empowered to share their views, and that's a good thing. We want to give them an outlet to be heard in a productive fashion, and we believe we owe it to them to be transparent around the decisions that we're making and to explain the rationale so that they can see how thoughtfully we've considered these very complex issues. That's perfect. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure. I want to ask about sustainability because it's a big thing for you. It's a big thing for the world. But before we move there, I just wanted to ask you about diversity and inclusion and the targets. Do you set specific targets? Yeah. So the the way we the way we approach it is we we have a very diverse workforce. I don't know how familiar you are with our company, but big uh, African American population, big Latino population, and uh, Asian. We we really represent pretty much everywhere where we operate and. What we spend a lot of time on is making sure that we have no pay inequality anywhere in the company, male, female, ethnicity, whatever your background is. And we also make sure that the process of yielding people from crew to general manager, right? right, We want that to be representative of where the organization is. You know, we don't have specific uh, targets or quotas. What we spend our time on is, hey, we've got great people in the restaurant above the restaurant, how do we make sure we're developing and training them? You know, all of a sudden we've got great female general managers. Why why don't we have these females becoming field leaders? And what we do is we make sure that we've got mentors for them. You know, one of the biggest things we've heard, Ellen, is 
to give people the confidence to want to do the next job, they just want to see somebody that kind of has had a similar experience as them to give them the confidence to say, I can do that next job. Right. And so, you know, one of my big commitments to everybody is if you have ambition, I want to make sure we're giving you the skills and training so that your capabilities match that ambition. So uh, it's a big deal. And I think it's one of the things that's unique about our company is you can come into our organization and find yourself in a big leadership role in short order. But can a burrito save the planet? That's <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about those what sustainability a pivot. goals. What a pivot. Well, well, it, it, it sounds it, it like it saved at least your 18 year old party. It, so, did, uh, it did. It did. Uh, that's a good starting place. It is. You know, look, I, I think the answer is yes. You know, some people give me a hard time about it because they're like, come on, come on, Brian. Like, are you kidding me? We're, we're talking about a burrito here. But, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, when you take this all the way back and you kind of take a look at what's happening in farming, the way that animals are treated, right. the way that the animals are fed, and then the way that the land is taken care of and how we produce the produce really matters. And, you know, we're committed to the regenerative farming. We're committed to doing the right thing for food because we know if we do the right thing for food, we do the right thing for the planet going backwards. Then going forward on that, when you do the right thing for food, you're doing the right thing for people, and then you're doing the right thing for people's communities. So it's, it's a big deal to us. Yeah, I, I just watched the new video commercial with the Casey Musgrave soundtrack, uh, Fix yeah. You. It had me in tears. It's beautifully done. It's great. Thanks. But I want to ask you about something else because, look, Ellen and I have seen an incredible acceleration since we launched this podcast two years ago in the number of companies making environmental commitments, you know, mm -hmm. net zero 2050 commitments. And frankly, there's a lot of skepticism out there and there's a lot of cynicism and yeah, people look at your commercial and say, oh, that's nice. And maybe I'll go to Chipotle. But is it real? Are they really going to do something different? What I think is impressive about what you've done is you have tied it to executive pay. 10% right. of executive pay is tied to how you do on your sustainability goals. That's unusual and pretty impressive. Can you talk about how you decided to do that? I thought it was really important to walk the talk on this. You know, if it is one of the things that matters to our company's success, then it should be reflected in people's rewards. And that's why, you know, we talked about this earlier, but like the gender pay equity uh, is a big piece of that bonus structure. So, you know, if we aren't doing it, we don't achieve our full bonus. You know, obviously the amount of organic local produce that we buy and help, I'd say, produce is another big piece of it. And then obviously the climate-based targets are a piece of the puzzle. So we think it's it's really important. And, you know, the best way I find aligning behaviors to outcomes is to reward people for those outcomes. Yeah. Now, I haven't tried your smoked brisket yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you if it's available in my area. You, you, you better hurry up, Alan. Oh, it's coming <laughs> out. I'm hungry. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but there is, okay, smoked brisket aside, there is a lot of meat consumed in a Chipotle meal, there are some people who think meat is the problem. I mean, how are you thinking about you just following the consumer on meat versus non-meat options? Well, you know, look, we, we work with a lot of our cattle ranchers as well as uh, the folks that process uh, meat on doing it the best way possible for the animal and the climate. So there still is a lot of work that can be done on that to make the whole meat industry, I think, much more uh, climate friendly, as well as uh, give people the confidence that they're getting 
you know, clean, healthy meat. To answer your question, though, our customers are still eating a lot of steak, chicken, and uh, we continue to advance plant-based proteins. You know, we have sofritas on our menu. We recently did cauliflower rice uh, just to give people some alternatives. And, you know, we just finished testing a plant-based uh, chorizo, which is just mm, awesome. Wow. And it did really well in tests. So I'm sure we'll figure out the right time to bring it out to our menu for a limited time. But we're very much committed to, we, we kind of approach our culinary as we want to listen to people on what they want from our culinary. And then we also want to lead people's palates in culinary. And, right. uh, you know, that's why when you look at our menu, a lot of what we sell is chicken and white rice, but we still do a great job. I think we've got the best carnitas in the world and the barbacoa is phenomenal. But, you know, I, I might have a little bit of bias in that. You, yeah, oh, maybe. Way, maybe. <laughs> the, chips, the chips and guac are pretty spectacular, Everything too. is good. Everything yeah, I keep going down good. the menu here. I, I, everything you, you is notice. good. I like everything. Yeah. I know. Ellen's a fish woman. You see that trout in her background. But our listeners trout. can't see it, but you can see it. But I'm a catch <laughs> yeah, and release, do. but I absolutely eat all the food at Chipotle. <laughs> I want to ask you a Philosopher King-style question, because it sounds like a lot of things really went right for you at a terrible time, that you were poised to make some good and smart decisions, but you brought some real wisdom to it. You were transparent. You were willing to think out loud. You were willing to face some of the difficult options. The scenario planning that you did seemed to yield results. So I'm curious if you think that the CEOs who are up and coming today in whatever industry, who are going to be CEO 20, 30, 40 years from now, what do they need to know about a rapidly changing world that perhaps you naturally knew or you trained yourself for, but the average CEO working today might not have known. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've probably said this a few times, uh, which is one of the terms that drives me kind of crazy is when people say, well, how do you adjust to the new normal? And, you know, my, my point of view is that doesn't exist. Okay. If you're doing a great job leading your organization, you're always looking for insights and understanding that tells you what's coming around the corner. And I think the great leaders are ones that recognize where they are today. You know, you have to recognize where you are today, but you have to have a plan for what's coming around the corner. And I think that takes courage to be able to say, I don't know everything that's coming around the corner, but you know what, we're gonna take a couple paths forward here and we're gonna make some decisions and then we're gonna listen, learn and react accordingly. And yeah. uh, we shouldn't be afraid to recognize some decisions weren't the best and other decisions were. And I think when you're transparent on the things that are working and the things that aren't, your people have more trust in you and they want to succeed. And what, what I've also discovered too is in our organization, all 100,000 of our employees wake up every morning wanting to succeed. Now, unfortunately, after they have their first cup of coffee, things probably start to get in the way of them being successful. But That's what happens think, to me. <laughs> well, me too, right? And you know, it's like, so what can you do to make sure people understand what are we being, what are we focused on so that they know the critical things that they need yeah. to be, you know, good at today. And then, you know what, the things that are unexpected and set you back, the good news is, you know, you have a culture and a company that's going to help you navigate it. That, that to me is what people need to recognize. And 
Yeah, that, and you're doing it. Get to. You're doing it, Brian. You're demonstrating it. I mean, I remember back in 2017 when people were speculating whether Chipotle would survive, make it through this food scare. And you came on in 2018. You obviously were way ahead of the curve in digital. That paid off for you. You've done a great job taking care of your employees. That's now paying off for you. And this commitment to the environment that you've made is very, very impressive and obviously also helping you build the brand. So we're delighted to have you here on Leadership Next, and thank you for taking the time. Well, uh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, Alan and Ellen. And uh, pretty soon you'll have another catering event, Ellen. I can feel it. We're getting close. I want to be invited. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. This this interview has made me so hungry. I think I'm going to have it today. That's good. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 